I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm here with Jerry Avorn, a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and chief of the Division of Pharmacoepidemiology and Pharmacoeconomics at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. We're discussing the Food and Drug Administration's recent approval of two weight loss drugs, Belvic and Cusimia, which is addressed in a perspective article by Coleman et al. Dr. Avorn, as the perspective authors from the FDA make clear at the outset, the history of drugs for weight loss is quite troubled. Many different types of drugs turned out to have serious adverse effects and had to be abandoned. Is there any overarching theory about why progress in this area has been so difficult? Well, it's hard to know for sure, but uh, I sometimes suspect that because these drugs deal with one of the most fundamental mechanisms of cellular life, that is, how we take in nutrition and, and use it, that it's difficult to muck around with that mechanism without potentially running afoul of some very basic um, other aspects of cellular life, and we, we keep learning that lesson. In general, how likely is it that the pre-approval studies for these new drugs, Belvicor, which is Lorcaserin, and Cusimia, which is a combination of fentramine and extended-release topiramate, how likely is it that the pre-approval studies will predict the adverse events that may occur with real-world use? Well, this is always a problem, of course, with any newly approved drug. There uh, is, of necessity, a limited number of patients that are studied in the pre-approval trials, and one then has to wait and see how the drugs behave once they are out in widespread use. For a drug that is dealing with a major medical problem, let's say a chemotherapy agent for cancer, one is more willing to accept a uh, benefit-risk trade-off and saying, well, let's see what what harm is going to come because we know what good is done. It's much trickier with diet drugs where there is not a life and death property for a lot of the people who are going to be using these drugs. And as everyone, I think, is concerned that if a person is using it to just shed a few pounds, that would be a problematic uh, use if it turns out that the drugs have important side effects like all of their predecessors have had. More specifically in that regard, lorcaserin is a serotonin 2C receptor agonist, and we know that the weight loss drugs fenfluramine and dexfenfluramine, which were serotonin 2B receptor agonists, caused cardiac valvulopathy. Although studies have revealed a non-significant increase in the risk of valvulopathy with lorcaserin, the FDA authors note that the data from in vitro receptor assays show that it should not activate the 2B receptor, and so it's unlikely to cause valvulopathy. To what extent does it reassure you to know that this specific mechanism of harm has been deemed unlikely? Well, it is more reassuring than had it been deemed likely, which probably would have kept the drug off the market. But uh, there was, as the authors note, a 16% increase in valvulopathy in patients taking these drugs in the randomized trials. Yes, it was not a significant difference, probably because this is a rare event and there was a modest number of, of people, as there always is in a pre-approval study. Uh, I think one needs to be careful not to be too grandiose about our capacity to predict adverse events based on uh, receptor physiology and, and other kinds of molecular mechanisms because we don't always get it right. Uh, and we will just need to see whether that numerical increase of 16% is going to turn out to be a fluke or whether it's going to turn out that maybe we're not as clever as we thought about how the valvulopathy occurs and perhaps there will be something unexpected. We just don't know enough yet to know that. But in a sense, that, that's almost like being reassured about the results of, of uh, fighting the last war. 
uh, maybe valvulopathy will not be an issue. But of course, valvulopathy was not an issue until it was. And who knows what what may be coming forward. Not, not to be a nihilist about it, but uh, we just need to be very cautious about the fact that a lot of adverse events emerge only with widespread use of new drugs. The fentermine-topiramate combination is associated with an increased risk of orofacial cleft in babies born to women who use the drug during pregnancy. So the FDA is requiring a REMS, a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy, to try to ensure that women of reproductive potential use effective contraception when they're taking Qsimia. Do the kinds of warnings and restrictions that are being put in place tend to work in such cases? This whole issue is one that is difficult for, for FDA uh, because of the fact that for many, many decades, uh, it has been uh, prevented from trying to, quote, regulate the practice of medicine. And organized medicine has been very firm since the early days of, of FDA's powers to say we don't want the agency to tell us how we can use drugs and has been effective in resisting that influence. Now, that becomes problematic when FDA approves a drug that uh, is widely acknowledged to potentially not have such a good risk-benefit relationship if it's used in patients who just want to lose a couple of pounds. And I think most people would agree that that is not a setting in which one would want to incur much of a risk. FDA's difficulty, through no fault of their own, is that they really don't have a lot of levers to pull in trying to determine how these drugs are going to be prescribed, because that is not the formal domain of what FDA is permitted to do. It therefore makes often valiant attempts to try to persuade manufacturers, physicians, pharmacists, and so forth to please use the drugs appropriately. But in fact, that is, at the moment, not something which FDA has a lot of clout in being able to implement, at least the way the agency has approached it thus far. The FDA does stress that these new drugs are not to be used by merely overweight people who want to lose a few pounds, as you say. But there is a great deal of off-label use of drugs, and we can probably predict that they will be with these drugs, particularly given the extent of the obesity epidemic and people's perennial interest in losing weight. So what can really be done to inhibit off-label use of this sort? I think you're, you're right that the use is going to be much more widespread than just the morbid obesity and very significant overweight that FDA is hoping that will be the only indication for these drugs. Some evidence of that is the behavior of the stock prices of the companies that make these drugs, because clearly Wall Street is expecting very, very widespread use based on the financial performance of those companies. So the question becomes, um, what what is it that, that uh, we should expect and what is it that FDA might be able to do? There have, for the last couple of years, been a number of proposals um, floating around, the most recent of which was from a, a presidential commission uh, report released just last month, in which the idea was presented that maybe we should not have this binary approach to drug approval in which before a drug's approved, no one can use it except in a very constrained clinical trial setting. And then after it's approved, uh, pretty much anyone can use it for whatever purpose the doctor deems appropriate. And there's a lot of interest in whether we might have a middle ground for some drugs. And this example has been, uh, the example of diet drugs has come up, in which it might be determined that this is a drug that ought to be used only by uh, particular obesity specialists under very uh, constrained settings, working in specialty referral centers to make sure that the prescribing of the drug really is in keeping with what FDA ha had hoped for in terms of the risk-benefit relationship that might be seen. But that is not currently the case, and the agency has not 
um, yet move very aggressively in that direction for large numbers of drugs, even though that might make a lot of sense. For these and for other weight loss drugs, how should physicians and patients assess the risks and the benefits? I think that for the moment, the only plausible way of thinking about risks and benefits for these new two new drugs is that they really are likely, given how little we always know about new drugs and the warning signs uh, that are always there, that one never knows quite what to make of when a drug is first approved, and the very scary history of all the other weight loss drugs that have caused uh, often fatal complications, I think the average uh, doc uh, who is caring for a patient who would like to lose some weight would be very wise to uh, wait, no pun intended, until we have more track record on these drugs. And their use really ought to be reserved, as the FDA would hope, uh, to patients who have really morbid obesity in whom uh, the possibility of some adverse events can be thought of in relation to the very severe consequences of being morbidly obese. Uh, but the worry that I think many people have is that that may not be the way the way these drugs are used. But we will know within a year or two what the consequences are if FDA does pursue the post-marketing studies that it is hoping will occur and intending to do. And we will be able to see how much valvulopathy, how much uh, of the other, you know, and again, it may not be the valvulopathy. It's the thing we're not looking for that may be the problem that these drugs cause. The FDA is, in fact, requiring post-approval clinical trials for both these drugs. There are clearly risks and benefits involved in approving drugs first and then conducting the trials after. In your view, were these approvals well-timed in terms of the knowledge we had? I would much have preferred that we had a system in place, as has been advocated but not yet widely implemented, in which the FDA were able to say, these drugs may be helpful for people who are severely uh, and life-threateningly obese. We don't yet know enough about them for them to be used generally and to have a limited-use kind of approval, which unfortunately is not the case uh, at the moment for these drugs, and then allow the experience to accumulate in patients who really are at medical severe medical risk from their obesity, and then if there is valvulopathy or hepatotoxicity or cancer or some other problem we don't even know to look for, that would become clear in patients in whom there's an ethically plausible reason to subject them to that risk uh, rather than having it available uh, with whatever um, provisos are intended. I think we all are worried that those are going to be honored more in the breach and are not going to be defining the, uh, the scope of, of this use. Now, there is some good news here, um, and that is that uh, in the wake of the Vioxx debacle uh, and some legislation that followed it in 2007, FDA now does have a lot more tools available to it than it did in the era of some of the older diet drugs. It has this very powerful so-called sentinel system in which it can harness the experiences of over 100 million Americans and learn about who took what meds and what consequences befell them in a very rapid uh, and efficient manner. And that should be an important tool, and I would expect that that would be brought to bear on this. The other legislative change that occurred uh, in the wake of Vioxx was that FDA does have more clout now than it used to to say to a manufacturer, you really need to look at this and we want to report uh, on a given date of what you're finding in the following post-marketing surveillance way. And that's an important tool that if FDA wields it uh, carefully will give us information quicker if there is anything untoward going on than was possible in the days of dexfenfluramine or, or redux, uh, which was the culprit in the fenfen debacle. 
Looking at this more broadly, what should the FDA be doing to balance the need for new drugs against protecting the public health? I would love to see the FDA, and again, it may need some congressional help uh, for this, move in the direction of limited approval for new drugs with a narrow therapeutic index, particularly drugs where we can sit here now in the fall of 2012 and know that overuse and misuse are very likely on the part of patients and doctors, uh, and be able to have the FDA say, no, this drug actually can only be used by doctors who are authorized to use it uh, and who agree in advance that they will only use it in people who have a BMI greater than X, uh, and that that use will be followed with some careful follow-up. This idea of limited release is really a tool that uh, would be a very good thing for patients uh, and for our knowledge about drug safety if we could manage to have it happen more easily than it now does. Thank you, Dr. Avon. You're welcome.